We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 15 in just a few minutes as we come to the message. 1 Samuel chapter 15. It says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on their way when they came up out of Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and devote to destruction all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill man and woman and child and infant and ox and sheep and camel and donkey. Continuing in verse 7, it says, And Saul defeated the Amalekites from the Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and of the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I've made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. It was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you in the Lord for I have done, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, Though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission which the Lord sent me, and I've brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I devoted the Amalekites to destructions. But the people took the spoil of the sheep and the oxen and the best of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption is as of iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. We look at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, we could really almost sum up the passage of scripture in just basically one sentence. Saul was a bad guy, he disobeyed, and he lost the kingdom. All right, you got that? Saul was a bad guy, he disobeyed, and he lost the kingdom, right? Let's go to lunch. Uh, now, we may miss a couple of things by just kind of running through that. One of the things right off the bat 
is probably one of the parts that I don't really want to unpack too much, uh, but you're curious about it. The commandment that Saul has to deal with is a hard commandment. The commandment that Saul gives is to go and destroy everyone. You heard it. You read the text. Man, that is tough. Now, I'm going to tell you, I can't fully explain all of that, okay? Someone asked me between services, well, what about this? I'm like, I'm telling you, I can't explain all of that. I've got to take what the Word of God tells me. I've got to trust the character of God. I've got to lean into that because at the end of the day, every time God is going to be better than I am. And if I get that confused where I think, well, God, you know what you really should have done? I'm kind of in dangerous territory. So let me just say at the beginning, I understand the tension and I understand the, the anxiety about some stuff in this passage. Now, let me try to just point out a couple of things here that I think are important for us to know about this. One of the things is this is a punishment on the Amalekites for the way that they treated the vulnerable Israelites when they were in the wilderness. Now, the Israelites needed a little bit of help. They needed a little bit of freedom just for passage. They just needed to pass from one place to the other. And there was a statement that says, listen, we're not going to mess with your stuff. We're not going to borrow your stuff. We just need to pass through. If you'll just let us pass through. And the Amalekites said no. And they went to war with Israel. And they took advantage of Israel in that place. And this is a punishment for their behavior in doing that. Now, every once in a while, you and I will look around the world and say, why is it that none of the bad people ever get punished for what they're doing? Have you ever wondered about that? Maybe you even put the name of somebody in there. But, but sometimes we get frustrated and say, boy, it just doesn't seem fair that people do bad things all the time, and it seems like God doesn't do anything about it. Well, this is one of those places where God says, I do do something about it. I take care of it in my timetable, in my way. But rest assured, God does see what's wrong, and he has an agenda to correct that wrong. I would also tell you there's another piece to this, this harsh commandment that was a principle that God was setting up for the Israelites. Is he, this is the land that I've given to you. And one of the things that he says, you have to drive out all the people that are in that land. Now, again, that seems mean. That seems harsh. But what God knew is that if those people remained in the land, the Israelites would begin to copy their behaviors. And these folks who were disobedient to God, who ignored God, some of them did, animal, did, did child sacrifices, all those types of things, for whatever reason, when they stuck around in the neighborhood, the Israelites looked over the fence and said, what are you guys doing this weekend? Maybe we'll join you. And we're dealing with difficulties here in this history of Israel. And a large part of the difficulties that we're dealing with the history of Israel is because they were looking over the fence and copying their neighbors. And God says, you cannot allow, I cannot allow that kind of influence into your life. This land has to be cleared out so that you will not have that influence in your life. Now, Jesus in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, he kind of keeps this same theme. Not so much you have to go and destroy this people, but he says, listen, if your eye is causing you to sin, then you need to pluck that eye out. And he says, if your hand is causing you to sin, then you need to chop that hand off. Now, 
Jesus is not saying here in this passage of Scripture that he wants you to come in blind and, and with no hands next week. But he does want to say, listen, if there's something inside of your life, all the way up to your hand and your eye, that's leading you in the wrong direction, then you have to get rid of it. Whether it's a relationship, whether it's a hobby, whether it's a recreational pursuit, uh, whether, it is, uh, whether it is your phone, whether it's your, your, your search history, whatever it is that's chasing your job, money, whatever it is that is pulling you in the wrong direction. God says, you've got to get rid of that. And so there's a part of this that we may look at this passage of Scripture and say, boy, God, you're too harsh. Well, I think there's some degree in which God would say to us, we're not harsh enough. That we identify things in our life that are leading us in the wrong direction, and we say, that's all right. We can kind of keep that close and nearby. And God says, no, that's got to go. You remember... um, you remember osmosis, the principle of osmosis? Okay, I don't either. But, but, but in the back, back resources of my mind, there is this, uh, it's biology, right? Is that what it is? Someone help me out here. It's biology. There, there is this principle that there is, there, there is a, a sharing between two parts of the cell where either it is leaking in or it's leaking out. The, the membrane is either letting things in or letting things out out. There's an inventory that we have to take a look in our life and say, what is leaking into my life from around me? And what is that causing in my life? What direction is that pulling me? What direction is that sending me? If there are things in my life that are leaking into my life, that are harming my spiritual life, that are harming my family, and I got to go to war against those things. I got to say, I got to get rid of those things. Because that's the principle, that's part of the principle that's in play here. Now, I also think this passage of Scripture wants to show us a, a few other things. It, it wants to tell us a little bit about what it takes to please God. We're going to see that in just a minute. Hey, it's going to talk a little bit about this tension between what's inside of us and what's outside of us. The internal part of our life and the external part of our life. And then I think what will be the, the heaviest part of what we talk about today is this also going to talk about what happens if I keep saying no to God? What happens if I keep saying no to God? All right, let's dive in. Are you ready? All right, first thing, like two of you are ready. All right, good. Um, the first thing that we need to hear from this passage is that convenient obedience is not complete obedience. Convenient obedience is not complete obedience. Saul shows up and he says, I did everything that I was told to. No, no he didn't. Here's what is true, is that Saul did some of the things that he was told to, and the reality is, is that Saul did the easy things that he was told to. You see, part of this command, go and destroy the Elimelechs, I'm sure that Saul said, man, it's about time. They've been on my list of folks to go beat up for some time. I can't wait to go do that. You want me to go have success in battle? Boy, I can't wait to go do that. And so he runs over there and he has this and he is obedient to a certain point. In fact, 
remember the commandment was that nothing was supposed to come out of there. They were supposed to destroy everything. Did you notice inside of the text that what it tells us, that everything that was weak and detestable, all the things that Saul did not like, he destroyed. I tell you, that was easy. He was stomping on things that he didn't, he didn't like. That, that was easy for him to do. But the difficulty comes when there were things that he liked, things that were of value, and he struggled to get rid of those things. Imagine if you were in modern day circumstances, if you were a soldier, you have just invaded a terrorist compound, bad, bad guys. As you invade that compound, you have complete success. You have complete control over that compound. Now, your command is that you are to destroy that compound and nothing comes out of that compound. Nothing of value comes out of that compound. You're happy to do it. You, you want to defend the world for freedom. You want to protect people everywhere. This is not a hard commandment for you to do. But as you come into the center of that compound, there is a table there. The table's not that big a deal. It's the $10 million sitting on top of the table. Cash, neatly bound. You've watched a lot of movies, so you know what $10 million in cash looks like. It's right, you know, that looks like $10 million in cash, and you look at that. Nothing's supposed to come out of there. Oh, man, did, you risked life and limb to get to this place and there it is. I mean, who's, who's going to know? Who, who's going to care? What difference does it make whether we blow it up or whether we carry it out? I mean, think about the amount of good that that could do back home. I mean, you're going to share all of it. Well, a lot of it. Most of it. Some of it. But you will do some good things with it. In ancient warfare... There was not a salary that you got as a soldier. You won the victory, and you picked up the stuff that was laying around. You picked up the stuff that was valuable. But in this war, God said, this is not about you. This is not about you getting rich. This is about me enacting my justice in this place. And so, therefore, nobody gets benefit out of this. This is completely devoted to justice and not you getting rich off of this. So you don't touch the cash on the table. And Saul, I know that's some good-looking livestock. I know it would place well at the next 4-H competition. But it's not yours. It's mine. And it's devoted to destruction. See, Saul had no difficulty destroying the things he didn't want. That was easy. If I can just apply this to our lives, there are a list of things that we know God wants us to do that are easy. I got to tell you, for most of you, except for maybe, you know, for most of us, five out of ten commandments most week are a piece of cake. I mean, uh, you, you pick your own five. Listen, there's a lot of times you get a lot of the commandments right. In fact, here's, here's what I want you to hear. A bunch of those commandments, 
you would do even if you weren't a follower of Christ. You're just a good person. You wouldn't think about walking up to someone and murdering them most weeks. Okay, maybe it might cross your mind, but, but you wouldn't actually do it. Those are the easy things. But our obedience, if it's limited just to the convenient things that we were going to do anyways, does not grow us in any way possible. Our spiritual growth happens when we bump into something hard that we wouldn't do apart from the command of God in our lives. And most of us would have a hard time walking away from the cash. And Saul had a difficult time walking away from the livestock. If our spiritual life never gets past the easy, we never grow. There's a poem that's been kicking around the internet, I think since day three of the internet. Okay, I think, that, I think that's when it showed up. It says, I would like to buy... $3 worth of the gospel, please. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not too much, just enough to make me happy, but not so much that I get addicted. I don't want so much of the gospel that I learn to really hate covetousness and lust. I certainly don't want so much that I start to love my enemies, cherish self-denial, and contemplate missionary service in some foreign culture. I want ecstasy, not repentance. I want transcendence, not transformation. I would like to be cherished by some nice, forgiving, broad-minded people, but I myself don't want to live those from different races. I would like enough gospel to make my family secure and my children well-behaved, but not so much that I find my ambitions redirected or my giving too greatly enlarged. I would like about $3 worth of God, please. I think that kind of connects with Saul. I, I'm more than happy to be obedient on the stuff that I was already planning to do. But what God wants is far beyond that. By the way, our disobedience sticks out. Saul kind of thinks, I got this covered, nobody's going to notice. But our disobedience sticks out. He, he runs into Samuel and says to Samuel, Hey, Samuel, I did everything that I was told to do. Samuel says, I can't hear you. Saul says, I did everything I was supposed to do. Says, Samuel says, I can't hear you. All of the livestock are making too much noise. The sheep and the oxen, they're making, I cannot hear what you're saying. Saul says, I devoted... We have an idea sometimes that, man, we have got it covered and nobody is going to notice our disobedience. The reality is that God sees that disobedience. Now, that's not really a headline. You came to church and the preacher told you God sees our lives. But sometimes we need to be reminded. God sees that disobedience. I'll tell you that other people see our disobedience as well. Not everyone. Not everyone sees your disobedience, but I think it's safe to say that there are more people in our lives that see the truth about us than we probably want to admit. They notice. We think, I got this covered. Nobody's noticed. You know, I think maybe the only person that doesn't see our disobedience sometimes is ourselves. Saul finishes the battle 
his disobedience. And did you hear what he, he did there? He stops and he builds a statue to himself. He says, let's always remember this day. Let's remember my greatness. Let's remember how great a king I was. Let's remember how obedient I am. On the very day, God said, I am done with you as king. Man. My, my notes say, gulp. Man. That, that, that's a rotten day. Sometimes we have blindness to our own disobedience. The scripture also tells us that heart obedience is always, always tops some ceremony. <laughs> now listen, the truth of the matter is it's in the text here that our faith is going to touch our stuff. Our faith is going to touch our money. It's going to touch our things. That's the problem. Saul was struggling here because he, he wanted to be, able to be obedient to God but do with the stuff whatever he wanted to do. Every once in a while, we'll try to build boxes and say, God, I'm with you. I'm on your team. You just can't have this box. And for some people, that box is the money box. It's our stuff. And they got whatever you want from me is fine, but you're not touching the money. That's mine. It's a funny thing because sometimes when we try to think about whether God's been blessing me or not, we, we go check our bank account. We check our driveway. We check our stuff and say, hey, if God's been blessing me, it's going to show up here. But we are much slower to say, if I'm being obedient to God and committed to him and pursuing him, it'll show up in my driveway and my bank account as well. That's a truth that's there for us to see. It, it touches the stuff. But in this passage of Scripture, the emphasis says that the stuff, the ceremony, the things that we do are never more important than the obedience. Samuel says to Saul, I can't hear you, all the animals. Saul says, oh, those, those, those animals, those were the animals that we were going to, and you can almost see his, his the wheels in his brain spin. Those were the animals that we were going to offer as sacrifices to your God. Let me quote Samuel at this point. Stop. That's what it says in the text. Saul is saying this and Samuel says, stop. What are you talking about here? Do you really think that you can disobey God on the fact and then because you do a couple of sacrifices, God says, oh, thanks, I really appreciate that. Like God really needs these sacrifices? Like, like, like that's what's missing in God's life? What he wants is our heart. It's always about the heart. It's constantly about the heart. I'm going to tell you in almost every passage of Scripture that we look at, I'm going to say to you, it's about the heart. It's the heart that he wants to do. You see, when we run through a to-do list, when we do a bunch of ceremonies, when we do a bunch of stuff on the outside and think this is what's going to move me closer to God, it never does. And sometimes when we try to compensate some part of our heart that's not right, by distracting God with a little bit of extra this? Come on, man. Stop. What God wants is your heart. Here's the best news. 
Here's the best news. Everyone here has a heart. Now, you may have questioned that about a couple of folks, but I'm telling you, everybody here has a heart. So God says, here's what I need from you. It's not a pile of stuff. It's not 27 consecutive days of getting this right. What he wants from you is your heart. And he says, I always want the obedience of your heart more than anything. What I want from your life is your heart and you have a heart. The question becomes, where is your heart pointed, shaped, leaning, moving, given to in this day? What God wants from you is your heart. There's one more piece for us to look at this morning, and it's the heaviest piece of the whole message. And that is that the truth is windows close. Windows close. In the first service, we sang about the grace of God, wonderful, matchless, great grace. God is full of grace. He he allows us to mess up and come back to Him and to fall on Him in His grace, and He forgives and He restores, and He forgives and He restores, and He forgives and He restores. And in the life of Saul, God has already forgiven and restored. But something happens on this day where God says, We're done. We're done. Oh, man. For God to look at my life, for God to look at your life and say, we're done. God looks at the disobedience of Saul and says, I regret that I made you king, and today I take away the kingdom from you. I will find someone else to accomplish this task right now. Now listen, we're going to stand here before you. And we're going to look at the Word of God on a regular basis, and we're going to point out to you the grace of God, the forgiveness of God. But there are multiple times in the Word of God where he says, it's over, it's done, the window is closed. And for Saul, the window had closed. Now, what I want you to know is this is not that something changed in God, it is something changed in Saul. You see, If we develop a pattern of saying no to God, our hearts become callous and our spirits drift. And we find ourselves further and further away from God. And God is still the God of grace. But what is happening inside of us is that we find ourselves further and further away from Him. And our assumption is, is I hear God calling me. I hear God speaking to me. I hear God speaking into my life. I'll deal with that tomorrow or the next day or when I get a little bit older or 10 years from now or when I get finished this project or, or whenever this happens or when I have kids or when I get married or whatever. Whatever it is that you keep pointing down, your assumption is that I can continue to say no to God this day and this day and this day and this day and then when I feel like it, I can just flip the switch and say yes to God. But I'm telling you, there's something that happens inside of our hearts. As we spend a decade or a week saying no to God, 
we find ourselves further and further and further away from him. That's one of the hardest things that I'll ever say to you as a church, that it's possible that that window of opportunity is going to close. Now, here's what I would say to you. If you still hear that voice of God, the window is still open. If you still hear from him, if the whisper of God, if the, if, the, if the hurricane of God, as we sang about earlier, if that still washes over you, the window is still open. So here's my counsel to you. Say yes. Say yes. If he speaks to you today, you know what would be the greatest time on earth that you could say yes? It rhymes with today. It's today. So as long as you're hearing it, you still have opportunity to say yes. But do not presume that if you choose to say no today, that you can just pick that up six weeks from now. You may never come this close to hearing that word of God that opportunity again. This is it. Do not walk away from that. We shift to the what's now part of the message. And a lot of times I want to give you, here's all the things that you should be doing, but I want to step out of the way. I want to say as least as possible here. Man, is there something that God has spoken to you? It's not even my job to guess what it is that he's spoken to you. But if he has, today, today, this morning, this hour is when you should say yes and you should yield your life to the voice of God. Now, every week we want to talk to you about saying yes to Jesus as your Lord, and as your Savior as the forgiver of your sins and the master of your life. And this certainly applies to that. If you hear that today, then we want you to say yes to that today and not presume, I'll catch that next time around. I want you to hear that today. But I also want to speak to the whole rest of the room and say, you know what it is that he's been talking to you about. I don't need to get into your prayer closet. You know, would you respond in the place that you know that he's been speaking?